Welcome to the Traveling Tribes podcast, the latest insight into group travel and tourism trends. Host Jeff Gader, publisher of Leisure Group Travel Magazine and author of Traveling Tribes, interviews travel industry standouts and influencers for an engaging conversation about group travel. Hello, everybody. Jeff Gadick here from the Traveling Tribes podcast. Thank you for joining me today uh, with me, very special guest, Nicole Mahoney from Break the Ice Media. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff, and I'm I'm excited to uh, be on your show and the tables are turned because I'm usually doing the hosting and the interviewing. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you, and perhaps you'll agree with me, um, asking the questions is a lot easier than answering them. So I, I get the easy <laughs> chair today. You're the one that has to be insightful. And I just, I have to just read through my list of things to talk about. All right. Well, I'll do my best. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, so first of all, just, you know, give us that 30,000 foot snapshot of, of your company and what you do. Absolutely. I'd love to. Uh, so my company is Break the Ice Media. I actually own two companies, but we'll start with Break the Ice because that's where the story kind of starts. And uh, we are a marketing agency. We work exclusively in the travel and tourism space. We have clients um, all across the country, a few international, but primarily we're here in the Northeast and, and U.S. based. And um, we specialize in public relations strategy and digital uh, marketing. Okay. And in addition to that, I host a podcast called Destination on the Left, and I've been hosting that for seven years. And I have the pleasure of speaking with people all, literally all over the world, um, from all segments of the tourism industry, uh, which is really exciting for me and helps kind of expand my knowledge and my team's knowledge, and of course our listeners' knowledge of everything that's happening in travel and tourism. And then the third business that I own is uh, is called Travel Alliance Partners which is a collaborative organization uh, that serves tour operators and travel buyers um, where they basically collectively co-market together and collaborate together. And collaboration is one of my favorite things to talk about. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. And I think some of our readers are certainly familiar with TAP and I have some specific questions for you on that. Um, so three hats right now you're wearing. Um, how, how do you balance that out? I know you have a team in the office you're, and you're in the Finger Lakes, if I'm not correct. So we are, we're in the beautiful Finger Lakes region of New York state, um, which we love. And, mm-hmm. uh, although my employees now, ever since, uh, as many people did in 2020, we've gone to a completely remote workforce. So I have employees, um, in the South, I have employees across New York state now. So we're not just uh, here in upstate, but that's where I live. Wow. And yeah. And so, um, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. We love, we love being here and how do I balance all three? Um, well, they actually all work really well together. So it's, uh, I mean, not that it's not a balancing act, but when, when everything integrates and everything, um, you know, your audiences work together, as you probably know, Jeff, with all the different products that, that you have and that you offer with all those markets, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, uh, less about balancing and more about integrating and how do we make sure that we're maximizing what we can for all of our clients and customers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. To to a degree, um, things work together until one of the machines stopped working and then it kind of puts a a bit of a a cog in the system. Uh, But I I definitely see there's the the synergies between the the different entities. Mm -hmm. So um, you're a completely remote workforce now, or do you have a core office and then people spread out? We are completely remote. Um, we all packed up in 2020 and uh, left our office behind. And when the lease came up, we did not renew. Um, 
originally thought that we would go back to an office space, but um, the way we've been hiring, uh, we, you know, the core group is still kind of located here in the Finger Lakes region, but we have so many that are outside of it. Um, we're, we're really 100% remote and I don't see us changing that. Interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you keep the communication cycle going? I know obviously we have tools and teams and, and Skype or Zoom, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, but uh, the camaraderie of sort of the office and making people feel involved, what sort of special challenge is that for you and as you're growing this enterprise? Yeah, well, I would say you have to be much more intentional about fostering that kind of communication. Um, and we have been very intentional about it. Um, we have uh, several in, per or in person online <laughs> check-ins um, per week, actually. Uh, once a month, we do a midweek check-in, which is on a Wednesday. Um, and then once a month, we do a lunch and learn, which is also on a Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, every Monday, we do a team status check-in. Uh, once a quarter, we do a wine time online, you know, as a team. So there's a lot of like pre-scheduled things that Can we're, we're, we're that? getting together. Yeah. Absolutely. We love to have people join us for wine time. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we use the channels that you mentioned, you know, Teams and uh, we use Slack and um, we have a lot of in-person, uh, We because we travel, a lot of our team ends up together in person at different events. Uh, you know, we just had two at the Travel PRSA event in uh, Madison, Wisconsin last week. So they mm. spent three days together. So we have that as well. And then we tried to bring the full team together for a couple of days, uh, once a year um, in person uh, in our, you know, up up here in the Finger Lakes where we get together and do strategy and team building and things like that. So you just really have to think through what works for you and be more intentional and because you don't have the natural, you know, water cooler conversation that you would get when you're in person, but it's worked really well for us. And um, our team is stronger than ever for sure. Good, good. Well, and, and certainly you found that you can hire somebody based on ability, not address. Um, mm -hmm. And that allows you to really increase the talent of your team, uh, whether they're in Boston, Massachusetts, or they're in Rochester, New York, you know, mm -hmm. you, can, you can truly find the best candidates. So you're not limited by a geographic scope. Exactly. Yeah. And we do that with our interns too, which has been really exciting. So it's been more challenging keeping our interns, um, you know, engaged, but mm -hmm. that, uh, but we've seemed to have figured that out. And um it's been interesting because we're able to pull them from colleges we wouldn't have otherwise been able to pull interns from. And we've had them from, you know, all over, all over the States and all different schools. And um, it's great to get, you know, those different perspectives working on our client, uh, yeah. client work with us. I agree a hundred percent. We have an intern aquarium here this summer. We have probably 10 interns mm -hmm. because we can recruit from all over. We can do uh, assignments on a, you know, per article basis or, mm -hmm. you know, working on social media, or um, we are developing video here. We have one intern that comes into the office um, and actually, when we set our office up, we set a specific area that we would have interns come in. We don't need that anymore because, it, just as you said, bring them in from Florida, bring them in from California, let them gain the experience. And, you know, there, there's a part of me that misses that of not having them there because there's an energy when somebody's 21 and they see the world from a different perspective mm -hmm. and how they approach work. Um, this also 
is the first job that they have sometimes. So sort of getting people used to working, um, you don't really get that when they're remote, but you know, that balances out with, like you said, being able to find unique talent in different locations. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it comes back to being intentional about how you include them. And I mentioned all those things that we do as a team. They're included in all of those things, you know, the wine times as well. So they get a little bit of that. And um, we make sure we bring them in on, you know, client meetings so that they get to see how Mm. those run and sort of give them different perspectives. And um, in some cases, they probably wouldn't have been able to be in on some of those client meetings um, if we weren't running them all virtually. So um, yeah, there's definitely pluses and minuses, but um, uh, I think once you decide on, you know, being remote, if that's what you want to do, there are definitely ways to make it successful. Yes, absolutely. Again, yeah. you have to be intentional. Correct. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so there's, there's a few things I want to talk to you about today, uh, but let's start with TAP. Uh, because as I mentioned at the onset, um, some of our readers certainly are familiar with TAP, probably have some readers and um, uh, listeners to the podcast that are that are TAP members, either on the supplier side or the operator side. How did you get involved in the organization? Yeah, so Travel Lines Partners was uh, started in 2002, uh, before I was involved. And uh, it was initially owned by tour operators. Uh, who came together and created this organization as a way for them to essentially fill each other's trips. Um, they, it was pretty innovative at the time. They recognized uh, it was hard for, you know, getting harder in a post 9-11 world to uh, fill fill bus tours. And so they decided to collaborate and um, co-market. And then I first discovered TAP, actually, I think it was 2012, and I was on the supplier side went to my very first tap dance and um, really got to know the organization, uh, fell in love with it because it's a very different format, especially the way they run their their um, their marketplace event, if you will, or their conference. Mm-hmm. And um, just really liked the concept. And over time, uh, they ended up putting an RFP out for an organization to run their organization. They were looking for some association management services, which we responded to. And we were lucky enough um, to win that RFP. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2018. Um, and so from 2018 until 2020, we were, you know, things were running out pretty smoothly. And then 2020 happened. Um, And we helped the organization, you know, stay alive uh, through the pandemic, even though the majority of our tour operator owners had, you know, went from record booking years in 2019 Mm -hmm. to zero bookings in 2020 and kept having to postpone those trips and postpone those trips. Um, And we found the organization actually to be a bit of a lifeline for those folks that were part of it, not just the tour operators, but also on the supplier side. Um, And so through the pandemic and uh, through 2020 and into 2021, um, some of the tour operator partners either opted out of TAP or um, ended up retiring Mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And they got to a point at the end of 2021 where the tour operator owner said, we need to focus on rebuilding our own businesses. We cannot focus on rebuilding TAP. Um, and at that time, our company was their biggest expense because we were running the organization for them. So um, we made the decision internally that we see the value in TAP. We see the value in keeping that organization going and rebuilding it. And so we made a deal to um, purchase TAP from the okay. tour operator owners at that time. And the owners who were there through the purchase um, are now considered legacy members. Um, they're founders, you know, of TAP and um, and 
saw it through some of the toughest times. Um, so we honor them as legacy members. And since that time, we've added new tour operator partners. We've had new suppliers come in. Um, our travel conference is rebuilding. Uh, we just finished um, the 2023 conference a few weeks ago, and it was a huge success. So nice. we see a lot of opportunity for TAP, especially in this post-pandemic world, to continue you know, to put forward um, these collaborative opportunities because we really do believe we're stronger together and we can accomplish more together than we can on our own. So that's that's really uh, that you know that's the story. <laughs> I've been around for a while. When I first went to my first tap dance in 2012, I never thought I'd uh, own it in um, 2023. But here we are. You never know where the journey is yeah. going to take you. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't walk around and say this is all going to be mine one day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it, it's an interesting turn of events, certainly. And, you know, I, I think part of business success is being in the right place at the right time. Um, but that never happens in a vacuum. That never happens by accident. You have to work towards that. And you invested, you know, 10 years in that process before that became a business for you. So congratulations on sort of recognizing that. And you're right, TAP has a unique format. Um, you know, many of their operators, I think legacy is a great way to to describe the current membership because many of them are legacy operators. And what we've seen over the years is some of them had a client base that they sort of got old with. And mm. as their travelers stopped traveling, they stopped finding travelers. And that's, I think, what, what bothers me about um, how people perceive the group tour market, and, and maybe we can dive into this a little bit, mm -hmm. is they look at one operator and say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's retiring and getting on the business. The group tour market's dead. And I'm like, no, that was one particular case of one particular operator who had a great run, by the way, who did this for 40 years. And you find me a company who can be in business for 40 years and put food on the table and send their kids to college and, you know, do what they do. It's it's just their turn to retire. Um, you wrote a blog post about this topic back in late 2022, and it started out something like, is the group tour market dead? And you said, well, yes and no. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, again, this is this is my podcast, which means I can't talk the whole time. You tell me what you're seeing out there. You, you've, mm -hmm. you've been to the shows, you've done interviews, you're talking with TAP members, you just held the show. What are you seeing out there in the industry? Um, you know, maybe not all rainbows and sunshine, um, but what are some of the good things that you're peeling away? And, um, you know, maybe where, where do we have some warts right still in the market? Sure. Um, that that's a great question, Jeff. And I love uh I love that you're, you know, kind of poking at this idea of is group travel really dead? Um, you know, there are these legacy operators who have been in business for 40 plus years um, and who are retiring. But there are plenty of operators out there, including new ones that have come in to tap, um, who are who are young, who have fresh ideas, who are reinventing what group travel uh, means. And I think those are probably some of the folks that you get to see, too. And um, some of the changes that we're seeing are, you know, more flexibility with itineraries. Um, you know, not everyone has to do everything that's on the that's on the group trip. We're seeing smaller groups. We're seeing um, groups put together, you know, multi-generational family trips. Um, we're seeing uh, sprinter vans being used instead of your traditional motor coaches being Love used. Um, and, you know, we're seeing adventure travel and we're still seeing some of the, you know, um, more traditional types of group trips. So I guess the bottom line from what from where I said is that 
we're just seeing so much more variety now in the trips that are being offered, the types of customers that uh, tour operators have. Um, we also see tour operators who might have a groups department, but then they also have a travel agency. They also are receptive, like they have multiple mm -hmm. lines of business within one like uh, organization. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, that helps them as well. So um, I think for folks who are who are either trying to sell to or buy from uh, the modern day tour operator, um, it's to know that there are a lot of options out there and to really understand kind of what those options are so that you, you know, can can find the best uh, partners for either it's if you're a destination trying to sell to the tour operator or if you're a group leader trying to buy from them. Um, there are so many choices out there. And once you find someone who's aligned with, you know, what it is you're trying to accomplish, I mean, we're seeing fabulous relationships um, between tour operators and, you know, and their long-term customers, new customers, destinations, suppliers. Um, I mean, the energy at the events, you know, we just had tap dance. I was at ABA Marketplace earlier this year. Uh, you and I were at IPW mm -hmm. together. I was at NTA last year. And um, the energy around group travel and just what's happening, new technology that's making businesses more efficient. Um, our, the tour operators are, they're smart business people. And they're figuring out how to change with the times, how to, you know, meet the market where the market's at and um, really reinventing themselves. And those tour operators who don't want to do that, I don't blame them because they've been doing it for 40 years. And yeah. for them, they're like, you know what, I'm ready. I don't need to reinvent again. I've already reinvented how many times over 40 years I'm, I'm ready to retire. And there's nothing wrong with that. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I, one of the things I like about your integration here is what's always plagued operators. And I'm talking about small operators, not the Colettes, not the G Adventures, mm -hmm. but the small operators is marketing. Okay. They have a very archaic approach to marketing, you know, build a mailing list, send the catalog. And obviously, you know, from the destination marketing standpoint is that that doesn't cut it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so adding that sort of influence into helping operators, you know, what made you a good tour operator is not that you're a marketer. You're probably great at operations. You understand how to put trips together. You are awesome in front of a crowd. You know, you can get people excited about the trip, but it doesn't mean you know how to do Facebook advertising. So mm -hmm. um, I, I'd like to transition just a, a little bit here in, you know, kind of putting another one of your hats on, which is uh, on the Break the Ice media and gets talk about marketing and sort of what you're seeing out there um, with your clients that's working right now specifically. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe some things, maybe this is more important is what's worked in the past that people are really struggling with. Sure. Um, well, I think you kind of hit 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 it right there on the head when you talked about the mail, the traditional mailing list, and the and the print collateral. There still is a place for the traditional um, avenues for some market segments that they still want those catalogs. They still want you to come to you know their community center and make a presentation mm -hmm. in person, right, and and show all the slides. Um, but we are seeing an evolution to more digital tactics, and uh, we are seeing tour operators start to adopt these. One of the one of the places um, where I believe most of the low hanging fruit is for an operator is their customer database, especially if they have an email list. So often I talk to tour operators, and they may be doing some email, 
um, but they aren't really cultivating and nurturing that relationship. They might think of somebody, uh, you know, as a customer, they went on that one trip. How can we keep talking to them to get them to go on a second trip to become a repeat customer to make some referrals? Um, and you'd be surprised, Jeff, or maybe not so surprised, but how many people are not actually executing so well on their email marketing? Um, and that's your owned audience, your owned list. It's such a great place you know, to, to start. Um, shock, but then, shocked yeah. and disappointed, honestly, because yeah. you know we've email's been with us for twenty from a mass marketing standpoint for twenty years now. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you're right. You've you've got to you know instead of finding new clients, go to the ones that have been with you before and start mm-hmm. to build not only the email, but I'm thinking the, the simple CRMs as well. They've been to yes. Branson, they're going to like Pigeon Fords. They've been on a river cruise, they're going to, you know, maybe like an ocean cruise, things like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the other areas where we're seeing uh, tour operators have success, and, and this kind of relates more to understanding your customer's journey and where you want to ca- capture them. Um, so when, you know, in, in travel marketing, when we think about a consumer making a decision to purchase uh, a trip, um, they're first kind of dreaming, daydreaming about where they might want to go, right? They've got their bucket list of all the places they want to go. Then they might be seeking out some inspiration. So they might start a search uh, online and, and look for some inspiration. Or maybe they see friends post about a trip on social media, but they're they're getting inspired and getting a little bit more specific about the destination. And um, there's different tactics for each part of the journey. So once they get to that inspiration phase or even into that more of the purchase phase and they're on Google and they're making those searches, um, that's a great place that we're finding tour operators are having great success in getting leads because people are actively searching, I want to go to, you know, Italy, I want to go to Branson, wherever I want to go. And if you can capture them when they're in that search phase, um, you have a much warmer lead uh, to follow up on. And we're seeing tour operators have a lot more success um, in Google. Uh, Facebook has its own, you know, its own um, part of the customer journey of where it serves. But in terms of getting those leads and those direct leads, um, we believe Google is a really, really good spot um, to, to be focused in on. Is, and yeah. Just to, to, to redirect there, is that a, a organic, you know, found in search based on, you know, developing content and enriching that content? Or is that more paid search results? Um, for the most part, we're seeing it in the, on the paid side. Okay. Uh, we do have some operators who do really well with SEO, and um, I'm a huge fan of you know of the organic side, but it's a longer game. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that you know you want to start to develop, you, I mean, you mentioned it. You need to have the right content. You need to really think long term. Um, and an SEO strategy is not a one and done. It's an ongoing endeavor. Um, and so we do have folks who uh, are having success with that. And then one other kind of unique area um, that that we've been uh, noticing is when tour operators can um, partner up with the destinations where they operate, especially if they if they run um, day tours or trips within a destination. So hmm. as a, for example, one of our operators out of Atlantic Canada has a great relationship with the Atlantic Canada, Atlantic Canada destinations who help market uh, that tour operator. Oh, that's perfect. Um, and we'll take that tour operator or that tour operator's offerings to shows like IPW or, you know, some of the other shows. Um, we're also seeing that one of our operators who operates out of uh, Utah and does the the um, the big five national parks there, the Mighty Five, 
uh, he's got great relationships in Utah and finds a lot of leads through that um, as well. So kind of thinking outside of the box and, you know, partnering with the destinations where you go. uh, We've also seen some success there Hmm. uh, as well. Do you think that um, you you mentioned a couple examples there, but uh, that's a sort of a light bulb on top of the head idea is, you know, are there collaborations, opportunities in most cities between, you know, ground operators, receptive operators, tour companies that package that destination? So, you know, I I think the challenge of a DMO is it's all inspiration, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you get people excited, now go somewhere else and book it, and then tell us about the trip afterwards. This actually gives them a a product that they could uh, get in the marketplace. Right. That's exactly right. It's uh, solving a problem for the DMO because they don't package. They don't package travel, but they promote travel to their destination. Mm -hmm. So if you can partner with those DMOs and offer something that they can that they can sell um, or promote, you know, that's a saleable product. Mm -hmm. um, That's a win win for the tour operator as well as the destination. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I I love it. I think that's a really good idea. Um, On the destination marketing side, um, similar things working as far as marketing is concerned, you know, Google, uh, paid advertising, anything else that you're seeing destinations do that's really moving the needle? Um, One place where we've been seeing a lot of um, increased focus lately is in influencers and specifically more more what we call micro influencers, like very niche um, specific influencers. So, you know, if you have a destination, you're really trying to highlight um, food or you're really trying to highlight uh, arts and culture or history or um, maybe it's your black culture that, or your Hispanic culture, whatever it might be, um, finding those micro influencers to align with and partner with has been a really good strategy. Um, we've also seen destinations focusing a little bit closer to home where a lot of their marketing might have been more uh, further afar. Um, especially, you know, in, in these times when the economy is tight and there's a lot more road trip travel. So we're seeing destinations look more regionally for influencers, um, Mm -hmm. and opportunities to align with those influencers to bring more folks into their, uh, communities. So, um, I'd say that's one area that we're really seeing a huge increase in, um, digital marketing, is, has always been, or in the past couple of years has been increasing and increasing video increasing, like all the things you keep hearing. Yes. All of that is still happening. Um, video, digital email marketing, but, um, this, this idea of micro influencers to me is something that's a little bit, it's not necessarily new, but it's just, um, seems to be trending more. Sure. Sure. So you don't have to get the Kardashians to Rochester. You can find uh, a local craft beer influencer who wants to tour the, you know, seven or eight uh, breweries downtown and, you know, tell his audience about it. Um, exactly. And, and usually you need that, that marketing connection, right? I mean, I just can't go find an influencer and start engaging with them. I would go through an agent see like yours in order to to make that connection? Well, absolutely. We certainly have experience doing that. Um, You can certainly uh, reach out on your own, but there are a few pitfalls that you want to make sure, you know, that you stay um, or that you keep in mind. And there's certain, um, 
there's, especially if you mentioned craft beer, especially when it's, <laughs> you know, alcohol or gambling or, you know, something that might have specific regulations around what can be promoted and what audiences they're allowed to reach. Um, so you just need to know some of the legal ins, ins and outs of it as well. Um, and there's a lot of information. We actually have information on our website that can help you um, kind of figure out where to start. Um I can I can share some links for you, Jeff. If you I don't if if you have a show notes section of this for this show, I can give you some links, or people can just look up influencer marketing on our website and certainly find a lot of information there. Yeah, a lot of great resources. Absolutely, you've got downloadable mm -hmm. white papers on there and such. You guys have done a really nice job of organization and providing some material sort of behind the curtain uh, that um, yeah, very very beneficial for uh, whoever the audience uh, interest is. So, mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely, thank you. Yeah, we spend a lot of time. Um, you know, trying to uh, share what we know. We, we're very transparent. Um, we we believe the more everybody knows, the better we can all be. And if you want to hire us, great. But if you want to do it on your own, we're happy to share what we know so you can um, be the best you can be uh, in, in whatever it is you're pursuing. So appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, as as we sort of get to the the end of this, because I'm cognizant of your time as, as well as the audience time today, um, your one of your mantras is collaboration and you actually i think you have a white paper on collaboration and studies and such um you've mentioned a couple examples of of collaboration and i think that makes perfect sense but you know there's still a lot of people out there this is a highly competitive industry right and everybody's vying for um consumer dollars and i want that tour passenger or i want this family reunion here um what do you say to those people who are like fiercely independent like i no, i got this i'm 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 good here. Yeah, you're going to get left behind. That's what I say. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> our, um, our research points to, um, you know, the people who are collaborating are actually having more success, um, are um, having better business outcomes than the people who are not collaborating. Um, and that's in all segments. It's not just DMOs. You might think, well, DMOs and nonprofit organizations, you know, they can collaborate easier, say, than, you know, the craft brewery that's competing with the craft brewery down the street or this sightseeing tour and that sightseeing tour. Um, but the point is, is uh, visitors really don't make decisions based on, you know, um, First of all, they don't make it based on geography or, you know, geographical lines, this county or that county. They make decisions based on activities and interests. And so if you can align yourself with, you know, a variety of activities and interests um, that, you uh, you know, that match up, right? Some sort of mm -hmm. theme or, or whatever that builds a bigger attraction, you're going to be able to attract more people uh, together than you can, you know, if it was just you. And I've talked to several um, folks in, in, in all types of businesses, for-profit, not-for-profit, you know, DMOs, et cetera. And for the most part, they all tell me that they understand that if they don't get it this time, They'll get it next time because mm -hmm. the awareness level has been raised within that particular segment market, whatever it is that they're going after. And um, they truly do believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, and I can't tell you, Jeff, how many times I turn around and I'm seeing more and more about partnership and collaboration. Um, I think in this post-pandemic world, it is the only way that we're going to survive and be able to, um, you know, be able to navigate whatever might come our way next, because you know something else is going to come up. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it seems it's about every 10 years. Sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes it's a little bit more, but there's going to be some major disruption within mm-hmm. within 10, 8 to 12 years, we could expect it. So um, I guess that that's the that's the clue to us that are sort of uh, putting our money away or planning our next move in life is that that's our, our, our clock ticking. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, so um, final question for you. Um, thanks to LinkedIn, I was able to peek back into your work history and you spent your formative years in the automotive car electronics business. Okay. So I'm going to give you a choice here. We've got Alpine, we've got Blaupunkt, or we've got Kenwood. (laughs) All three of those are throwbacks. (laughs) Yes, they are. Absolutely. So you can tell we grew up in the same time period. Oh, oh, yes. Where's your recommendation going to lie here? Yeah, right. Oh, gosh. Well, it depends on your personality type, because if you were driving a pretty fancy car, you probably wanted that Alpine. Um, if you really wanted the uh, the thump, you're probably going for the Blahpunkt and the Kenwood, I'd say, is maybe right in the middle. <laughs> That's really pulling on some, uh, sweeping out the cobwebs. But yes. uh, I'm, I'm glad you found that because it's kind of an important part of my story. And that is that I grew up in a family-owned business. My father owned a retail electronics store. Mm, okay. And so I got that entrepreneurial bug um, early in life. And uh that's why I sit here today owning two businesses and um, and hosting a podcast because that's what we do. We're just constantly innovating and, and trying new things. So that's awesome. I love that question. All right. So, so we, <laughs> we go with Alpine then. I got it. All right. Well, Nicole, thank you so much. Uh, uh, just real quick, uh, your website information on the podcast so people can reconnect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my um, agency is Break the Ice Media. You can find us at BreakTheIceMedia.com. I hope you uh, tune in to our show, which is Destination on the Left, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I personally get mine off of iTunes, but we're everywhere. And um, if you wanted to check out Travel Alliance Partners, it's tapintotravel.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. Great catching up with you and best of luck to you for the rest of 2023. Thanks, Jeff. You too. Get paid to travel the world with friends and family as the leader of your very own travel tribe. This book by travel industry publisher Jeff Gader will show you how. Order your copy of Traveling Tribes at leisuregrouptravel.com or at Amazon. Type in keyword Traveling Tribe.